0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns and dreams. Our guest today is our good friend, Chris Lockhead, who is a podcaster, author, entrepreneur, advisor and general all around good guy, opinionated uh, king of the world here in many, many ways. And we are delighted to have you, Chris. Welcome. It's always a pleasure. And I get the sense that you got some things on your mind today.
1: I do. Senator Evans, good to see you. And uh, I must compliment you on um, the beautiful turtleneck you're wearing this morning.
0: Yes, yes. Well, thank you. I I thought it'd catch your eye. And it's uh, just, you know, part of the the mid May uh, couture here at this time of year, Chris. But thanks for noticing that. Always been
1: a fashion inspiration to millions
0: yes 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 well um, you know in in ways good and bad i think and hey folks <laughs> uh, you know our, our good friend chris is part of our digital all-stars he's talking uh with us as part of a monthly installment called lockhead on different and chris has really been uh zeroing in with his podcast and a lot of the writing he does on this notion of micro niches or with his uh recent best-selling book niche down so the focus of somewhat Chris wants to talk about today is this point where intersection, uh, the intersection where technology hits society, people are le- everyday lives, innovation. What's going on with some things and entrepreneurship and these new companies from IPOs to uh, some interesting takes on Facebook, Chris? Right, from on the one hand, <clears throat> is it too big? All the way out to the other side of it is, is Facebook starting to niche down? So. Why don't you pick one you wanted to start with there, right? You had some thoughts about Uber?
1: You want to start with Uber? Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, you know, Uber is just going public here and uh, we'll see where they land in terms of uh, the value of the company, but it looks like they're going to be valued at around $80 billion. And look, here's the thing that the um, um, mainstream media is not talking about anywhere near enough on, on this topic. You know, there's a criticism of Uber, and they got a new CEO, and the, 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 the gig economy is, you know, is having some backlash, and everybody likes to dogpile on to some of the negative. And look, some of those topics are important to deal with, and so, um, you know, they, ha- they have their place. However, I think a lot of people are forgetting what Uber represents. So, if you take a step back, Uber was founded in March of 2009. So let's just get our head around that. First of all, that was 10 years ago. So in 10, you know, relatively short years, a relatively small group of people, you know, in the beginning, there's 23,000 of them now, I think. um, But in the very beginning, a very small group of entrepreneurs get together. And in 10 years, they create something legendary that didn't exist before. And so what the mainstream media is not going to shine enough of a light on that I think is important for all of us to remember is the power of technology entrepreneurship. We live at a time and we live in a place where a small group of people can come together, pirates, dreamers, and innovators with a big idea to make a big difference and to create massive value and in their case, to design a legendary product, company, and category. They created a whole new paradigm of personal transportation. And in 10 short years, they have created this new category. And to put it into context, you wanna talk about a company that scaled over 600 cities in 65 countries, 22, 23,000 employees, and almost four million Uber drivers, and you know we'll see how the stock plays out over time. But looking like about an eighty billion dollar market cap. And so the big aha for me, and and, and the thing I hope people take for, from this is the possibility of entrepreneurship. You know, uh, uh, three years ago, the Wall Street Journal declared a crisis in American entrepreneurship, and if you look at that, most of the data what you see is uh, we're at one of the lowest levels of entrepreneurship in American history. And if you read the research as I have, people like the Brookings Institute and others point to um, things that our government does to uh, really uh, uh, impede the opportunities for small entrepreneurs and for startups. The vast majority of the job growth in our country comes from smaller companies and startups. The vast majority of innovation as measured by uh, new Uh, Patents come from smaller companies and startups. And what I hope people take from Uber is inspiration. It's very easy to look at this and go, oh, well, you know, that was just a moonshot or that was a lottery ticket or they, you know, they just got lucky or whatever it is. No, no. We live at, I think, the most exciting time in the technology industry and in a decade And remember, they started during a recession, 2009, the economy was in the shitter. Um, And so in a short 10 years, what these folks have achieved, even yes, with some bumps in the road, and even yes, having done some things that are worth being critical of, for sure, but $80 80 billion dollars worth of market cap 22,000 23,000 people 4 million drivers 600 cities this is an extraordinary technology entrepreneurship achievement this is the thing that i think gets lost bob is is people forget that this is an entrepreneurial company a few people got together and dreamed and schemed over this thing and in 10 years made this happen
0: and chris you know that <clears throat> one of the things that you and i've chatted about some before is <clears throat> some people will say they see something like Uber, and they say, "Well, that was obvious." Well, yeah, it's obvious after somebody else comes in with a wild idea, with a great platform, and with this incredible passion that you talk about, and actually changes things. But yes. it sure as heck wasn't so obvious to everybody beforehand. Or if somebody said, "Geez, taxis are crappy. I wish there was an alternative," into that uh, void jumps some people with a dream. What do you call it? pirates, dreamers, and innovators? And yes, they went. It'll never be the same again, right? This is. The history, transportation will never be the same
1: and listen they i think they will be looked at i think lyft as well as uh coming together and being creating a real new tipping point in how we think about transportation obviously they're working on uh smart cars uh i had a conversation yesterday uh with an entrepreneur uh, who's in a very very hot early stage company backed by some of the greatest vcs in in, in silicon valley history who is a leader in uh, autonomous and smart for vehicles and transportation um, you know i don't want to get into the specifics of what they do. these are big big innovations, and I think we'll look back on twenty years and say, um, these are the folks that got the party started, and I think um it, it, for whatever mistakes and 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 problems they've had along the way, they should be celebrated as such and more importantly, I think it should be something that we all take as inspiration, you know. I couldn't help myself, Bob, to think and go, well, what have I achieved over the last decade?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Chris, you know, the, the government thing, just to set that aside quickly for one second, but how many times in the last few years have you heard people, whether they're, you know, people in a big company or entrepreneurs saying something along the lines of, we're trying to do for this sector or this market or this industry what Uber did, over here, what Airbnb did here. They have set, you know, your point about inspiration, they have sort of stormed the gates here and said every one of these sort of big, old fashioned, ineffective and unpleasing experiences or markets or services, they are ripe to be disrupted and turned over. So I don't think you could um, possibly overestimate <clears throat> your point there, Chris, about the power of inspiration.
1: And I, I read an article recently as they are getting ready to go public that said that Uber wants to be the Uber of everything. And so to your point, right. Uh, for, for now, for the better part of a decade, we've had entrepreneurs <clears throat> showing up in Silicon Valley telling VCs, Hey, we want to be the Uber of fill in the blank. And now Uber's saying, Hey, wait a minute. We want to be the Uber yeah. of fill in the blank too.
0: <laughs> Chris, you know, one of the, the other things with that too, right. Is that uh, th- this notion of, inspiration and they you know of the the of what is possible here right because like we were saying there was a sense of uh we used to talk about you know there are moats around certain businesses or industries or things like that and say well you can't get into the taxi business because it's political they've got medallions and you know there's the depreciation the cost there are always all excuses thrown up all the reasons why we couldn't do it they came in and i think showed no it's not only possible but if you have the right sort of imagination and passion and commitment and energy, you can do this. And I really think that your point, thousands of entrepreneurs doing this. And I think it's catching on here more so, not just like it's possible, but it's a good thing to do. Chris, the other thing coming around here, maybe some of these governmental folks that are for whatever unimaginable reason are trying to make it more difficult for entrepreneurs to succeed. Maybe the power of this Uber idea, the Lyft IPO, the Uber IPO will finally get some of these people to understand that nobody's expecting a lot of these folks in government to do good things, but just don't do bad things. Get the hell out of the way.
1: Well, and we talked about this a little bit last time as well, you know, hashtag vote entrepreneur, right? Yeah. So why aren't we, forcing a discussion that says, hey, in our country, we want more Ubers, we want more lifts." You know, Beyond Meat just went public, right? And they're, they're the category designers of a whole new quote unquote, alternative meat uh, category, right? And had a gigantic IPO. And we, we've continued to see uh, this innovation coming to market and the IPO market is more frothy now than it has been in the better part of a decade, if not longer. And so these are very positive things. These companies are creating new ways of doing business, uh, new ways of living, uh, and so forth. And they're creating massive value along the way. They're creating many millionaires along the way. And look, are there some downsides to some of these things? And are there some socialist people who uh, look, okay, fine. And is the traffic in San Francisco terrible? And are the house prices? In? <laughs> I got it. I got it. But those are problems we want to have here, people. Because they're problems that are generated by innovation. They're problems that are generated by value creation, right? And so, sure, do we have to have a conversation about how we even the playing field and how we raise the middle class? Yes, 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 but just stop. We need to celebrate this stuff and we need to force our politicians um, uh, to, to, to ask the question, how do we enable many more Ubers? And I think for us personally, you know, the question I had is, well, Hey, what the, you know, what have I done for the last 10 years of my life? My own ass. So I think for all those reasons, it's time to celebrate entrepreneurship. It's time to celebrate technology, innovation, and the success these companies are having.
0: So Chris, you're going to notice here, a very graceful transition I'm about to make. So another entrepreneur, Mark's influence is staggering far beyond that of anyone else in the private sector or in government. So, What's going on there?
1: Yeah. First of all, I'm not sure I believe that. So, you know, I'm sure you've seen this, Bob. Uh, Recently, uh, Chris Hughes, who's a co-founder of Facebook, uh, has come out. He wrote a piece in the New York Times saying that um, he doesn't like where Facebook is, essentially. He says, quote, I feel a sense of anger and responsibility. And then that quote that you just held or you just shared. And then the other interesting thing he says is because of the percentage of ownership that uh zuckerberg has and because of the way his shares are structured he essentially can't remove him from uh facebook right and so he says nobody's he's not accountable to a board he's not accountable to the government and now he's saying the government needs to hold mark accountable and he's he's e- even going further saying you should break facebook up here's the interesting thing first of all you know i, I like you i'm not a huge fan of government regulations I'm not a huge fan of of governments um, breaking up companies. Um, And isn't it interesting to hear this? You and I have been in the show for a while and you and I both remember there was a drum beating in the nineties that said exactly this same stuff about Microsoft. And there was real talk about breaking it up and taking the operating system piece out and the applications, business. remember all that stuff, right? And the, the the Jungle Drums beat were beating loudly on that and of course it didn't happen. And here's the thing that I think a lot of people don't get. And look, I, I don't know what this guy's deal is, right? I don't know if he's just feeling bad Or if he's got some ax to grind, or maybe he doesn't like Mark anymore, or maybe he envies him. I don't know what his real motivation is. Let's assume it's a positive motivation, but I don't really know. The interesting thing is um, this guy saying this at what might be the point in time where um, what I would call technology evolution actually gets Facebook. Because I think if you roll the clock forward another 10 years, I think Facebook, there's a, there's a high degree of likelihood, let me say it this way, that Facebook is nowhere near this influential 10 years from now. And here's the big aha. And I learned this from my friend Gina Bianchini, who's the founder and CEO of Mighty Networks. She came on my podcast about a year ago. We're about to drop a new episode with her. And she was the founder of a company in the very early days of social networking. And frankly, a lot of people thought she was going to be the Zuckerberg before Zuckerberg was the Zuckerberg. She was on the cover of Fortune magazine. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of her first company now. Maybe it'll come to me. But her company today is called Mighty Networks. For, for that period of time, she has believed in a very different worldview than Zuckerberg's. And my buddy and co-author of Play Bigger, Kevin Maney, just wrote a story you know Kevin has a way of capturing something and on a moment like very few others and so he he recently wrote a um, a fantastic uh, a fantastic blog post about um, that things are actually going into a completely different place Um, and he says Facebook's evolving mission statement is evidence that people are craving smaller communities and niche experiences Mm And what Gina has believed for a long time, and it's what her new company is really trying to get done, is she believes you and I don't want one monster social network. She believes that you and I have different dimensions. You know, you and I love the technology business, and we have other interests in life. I love music, and I love surfing, and, you know, chickens, and (laughs) and so forth, right? And she thinks what's going to happen over time is, like, virtually every company has a uh, website they're going to have their own private niche network because if you care about guitars or you care about chickens or you care about you know the enterprise technology industry then what human beings naturally gravitate towards are small like-minded tribes and interestingly enough kevin points out in his article about this that um that Even Facebook is beginning to get this. He says back in 2014, their mission was, quote, make the world more open and connected. And the goal was to have everyone on Earth online in one big global family. That's what Kevin says. And um, now he says that Facebook, according to Zuckerberg, will fundamentally be more private experiences. That's what Zuckerberg's saying. And so isn't it interesting that A, it's taken us this long to realize human beings want to be in smaller tribes based on shared um, interests. That's been true since the beginning of human, humans. And maybe, this is the part I find fascinating, maybe after all these years, my buddy Gina Bianchini is going to turn out to be right and these niche networks are going to be the future. And wouldn't it be interesting if Gina's company and others like hers became the new social platforms um, that allow companies and individuals, you and I can set up, uh, you you could set up a Cloud Wars niche network if you wanted using her platform, right? And so here's my point. I don't know where the future is going to go. I have a suspicion Gina is right. And I think Kevin's put his finger on it beautifully. And if they're right, we may be at the beginning of the end for Facebook because they may not be able to make this, and I'll use the term pivot, Mm-hmm. to this niche uh, uh, experience and so I always find it funny that it seems to be at this z- just where the thing starts to crack and people start to call for government innovate, uh, intervention where innovation takes over new categories take over and we see companies um, get diminished as a result and so I think we should just stand back and let this thing play out I don't believe the government needs to get involved here and I think there's a chance that um, there's this new set of uh, categories of niche networks that emerge here. And regardless of whether that's right or not, I think we should pay close attention to how this is gonna play out.
0: Yeah, the niche network, Chris, I think is a great idea. And you know, what you mentioned there about uh, the the possibility can Facebook pivot. And I know last episode, you used uh, the hockey term about stick handling. Pivot's fundamentally a, a basketball term, right? You know, you got the front of your foot down, you can spin one way or the other on it. I don't think pivoting in this case is is close to the move that Facebook would need to make. They have to do a double backflip to be able to get to this point. And when you weigh 5 billion tons, it's pretty hard to do a backflip. So your point there, I think into that void, Facebook was all about scale. And like you said, the global family and this and that. And, you know, there's some number of people want to get into that, but ultimately it's those smaller connections you said and again this is one of these things right every so often why is it that people say well that's it you know that's the end of innovation." hey there's facebook there can't be anything else you know there's uber there can't be anything else but i think your point and what gene is doing there mighty networks kevin's uh, articulation about that there's always stuff that that once to happen, right? I don't think this innovation and somebody coming in and doing something really well, it doesn't close off opportunity. It opens them up more. And I think coming back again, your point about inspiration uh, is so powerful there, Chris. And, you know, there's a hand, you see these articles, well, some Uber drivers feel they don't get paid enough. Okay, but there's four million drivers. They can't all feel that they're not getting paid enough, right? And you know, over time, well, they all- wouldn't
1: be doing it if yeah. it didn't make sense for them in their lives. I mean, they might be bitching about certain things, and maybe Uber needs to get better. I, I get it. No, 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 no. But hey, this is an opportunity you seized on. There must be something good about it, right?
0: Yeah. I don't think they drafted those four million. I believe, I believe those people volunteered and stepped forward and wanted to do this. If they don't like it, go do something else. It's perfectly okay. But these notions of big companies scaling and all this sort of flips over into that point you brought up about Disney, right? And the, the, the Sean Amirati, one of your digital uh, all-star peers here was talking about the Disney Netflix thing going on. And this, this great response that Disney made with Disney plus and some of the things they're doing, but you've got some pretty interesting ideas now about how that hits not just the digital world, but the physical world.
1: Yes. I, I find this fascinating. So, um, Disney has created this Star Wars, what do they call it here? Disneyland's Star Wars Galaxy Edge. I don't know why they came up with that name. By the way, just on the plus thing, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, right, is their web service. There's all these pluses starting to emerge. When you hear a company launch a product or a service with the name Plus in it, what it says is, the CEO and CMO of that company completely ran out of ideas. It is the dumbest ass name in history for any new product or service. But I digress. <laughs> so uh, Disneyland, Star Wars. So I read this hysterical article. They've spent a billion dollars on this thing. Did you, did you know they got rid of Frontier Town for this thing? No way. That, how disappointing is that? See, look, I, and I think Star Wars is wonderful, but I want to go to Frontier Town. <laughs> How dare they get rid of Frontier Town. Very disappointing. Mm. Anyway, so they 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 pivot from Frontier Town to Star Wars Galaxy Edge and they spend a billion dollars on this uh new theme park. And it's taken untold years to to create this thing and they're about to go live with it. Uh they're going live with it May 31st is the launch date. So there's two things I find fascinating about this. Um guess how many um i don't know if they call it a roller coaster or just mega attraction or what they call it these days but guess how many mega roller coaster attractions will be available on day one 12. one no yeah one wait on
0: opening day this is a disney thing but i thought disney always gets the logistics you know bam dead center well i don't know if
1: they'll have other things but in terms of one in terms of like a, a real attraction Uh, apparently it's going to be one they call it the millennium falcon smugglers run will be operational on opening day i don't know what the hell else will be open on operational day but that'll be the thing and um they have another uh uh, attraction coming apparently later this year so they're going to open with one big attraction and guess what their biggest problem is here bob uh what it usually is at disney the lines yes and so, to deal with the fact that they're going to have cr- what what the experiencing quote crushing crowds, right? And sometimes they, in the past they have like five hour waits to get on these attractions. Look, I get if you have kids and all that. This may be unfair, but if you're standing in line for five hours to get on a Disney attraction, I would posit to you something's <laughs> off in your life. I, I'm just you know. Either you're being controlled by a child, or, or, but I, it's it's just what adult wants to do that, right? But, anyways, I digress. So, they're going to have one attraction, and they're afraid that people are going to be hanging out in uh, the Star Wars Disneyland too long. And so, they're going to give everybody wristbands, and those wristbands will show which four hour window you have. That is to say, which four hours. So, you're going to pay all this money, you're going to wait in line to get on the Millennium Falcon, but you only get four hours. And, if your wristband says that your four hours is up, a park employee dressed as a Star Wars character is going to come over and, quote, politely tell park, park goers that they need to leave. Hey, thanks for coming to Disney, Star Wars. Now get the hell out. How do you like that, Bob?
0: Well, of the Disney, or uh, sorry, of the Star Wars characters who start to herd people toward the that so they're going to be the St- Imperial Stormtroopers?
1: Well, that's what I'm wondering. I'm not, I'm thinking it's probably not Princess Leia, (laughs) right? So imagine you go there with your family, you pay all this money, you fly to Southern California, assuming you don't live there. Uh, You know, whenever you go to these places, either hot, you know, in California, it's probably hot, right? May 31st, it'll be hot. And there'll be lots of people walking around wearing terrible outfits. You'll be paying $20 million for French fries and shit, right? And, and you'll be walking around Star Wars world, you'll be standing in line for maybe five hours to get onto the Millennium Falcon. And you can imagine this stormtrooper coming up to you saying, um, yes, uh, Mr. Evans, uh, thanks for paying all this money and buying the uh, $250 french fries, but uh, you need to get out of here.
0: <laughs> so which four hours uh, are on your tickets?
1: Yeah, you know, the longer I've lived on the planet, Bob, uh, the, more, uh, the more my attitude is, it, the more people that are there, the less I want to be there.
0: Yeah, but Chris, walk through this a little bit, right? Because you, you, you laid out the problem pretty interestingly here. This is a real smart company. So wh- what's going on? Uh, are they intentionally doing something like this to create some sort of media buzz about it, even at the expense of, got to be some pretty unhappy customers in this? What, what, what's going on here?
1: I think this is just the beauty of capitalism, I think they say, um, you know, what can we get away with? And if people will pay to get into the park, and pay for the four hundred dollar French fries, and the twenty five dollar cokes, and they'll wait in line for five hours, and then they'll get booted out of the park, and you know there'll still be a line, as long as there. Uh, look, as long as people line up, that free market enterprise, right? And so as long as people are waiting in line to get into Disneyland, Star Wars, intergalactic theme, millennium whatever then they're just and 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 I don't know I don't know how you get away with a value prop that says um yeah this thing's really awesome it lasts for about 3 minutes and you got to eat a 5 hour shit sandwich it's very expensive to get on it and people go yeah sign me up you no know, maybe you got a little 4 year old in your life who's making you do it and you know i understand they can be they can be very persuasive but it's it's free market economics at play why anybody wants to do this, I will never know. But uh, uh, the interesting thing, I'm going to find them on Instagram so that I can I can watch all the tags on Instagram as this thing happens to see what what people say when they yeah. wait five hours to get on the Millennium Ride.
0: Yeah, and I don't know, Chris. They are really good at those. You know, we took our uh, niece and nephew a couple of years ago, and I think somebody I heard, think I heard one employee refer to it as line management. And they see these as people are waiting. Uh, I certainly wasn't <laughs> any five-hour lines. Seemed like it, but, uh, you know, half hour, 20 minutes. But there's a tiered pricing structure. You can avoid those lines if you pay a little more. Again, your point of to beauty capitalism? Well, they'll say, at this point, when you only have another 45 minutes to go, we're going to have uh, one of the Disney characters come over and sing. And the kids were so excited about that. They have uh, stuff you can buy and spend and do along the way. but. it's it's a remarkable thing. Can marketing of an experience like that outpace the ability of operations to deliver the right sort of experience? Are they getting out ahead of what they can deliver?
1: Probably. And, you know, here's the thing I'd really like to see people get excited about. Take your kid for a walk in the woods. You know, if you want to come to California and do something really cool, go to see the Redwoods. Hang out with John Muir. You know, John Muir famously said, there's no problem in the world that can't be solved by a long walk in the woods. You want to see something that will blow you away? Go see an 1800-year-old redwood or sequoia, right? The oldest living creatures, if you'll call them that, living things on planet Earth are right here in California. They are more stunningly beautiful than, you know, with all due respect to all the technology and all the stuff that we love, um, you know whether you call it God or Mother Nature or whatever you want to call it, those creations I think are the creations. And you know, hey, go camping, go out in the woods. And hey, if you don't want to come to California, go to Vermont or go to New Hampshire or, or maybe there's an awesome place to go camping or hiking near you, uh, go find that place, go for a dip in the lake, you know, go do something outside, <laughs> go for a walk, go for a hike and just notice the beauty of Mother Nature. And uh, there's typically not that bad of a line. There's enough redwood forest parks to go visit that, you know, you could probably figure it out. It probably doesn't take five hours for a three-second experience.
0: (laughs) Chris, this is a slightly different um, environment for that sort of thing. But I had a chance this week to do something sort of like that. And I've always thought it's interesting, and companies handle this in different ways. But, you know, that uh, thing that started 15, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, take your daughters to work day. I got a chance this week to have my daughter go with me to work. We were at the SAP Sapphire event in Orlando and Elle is an entrepreneur. She has her own company. I'm a client. She helps me out with a bunch of stuff, but she came with me down there for three days and it was one of the uh, greatest work experiences I've ever had. So I think your point, there's often uh, magic a lot closer to home and in some simpler approaches than, um, you know, now there's one thing realize. to
1: be aware of, particularly, you know, if you're going to go to the Grand Canyon or you're going to go somewhere interesting and like that, um, is, uh, have you been tracking all these death by selfies? So there's this article here. I'll send it to you. It's, it's a great one. It's uh, outside magazine, you know, which is a great, great, great adventure kind of magazine, athletic adventure stuff. And, um, April 16th, 2019 article, selfie deaths are an epidemic. A recent report found that 259 people died between 2011 and 2017 while stepping out in front of the camera. And that was 2017. Selfies are uh, a much bigger deal. I thought, I'm sure you saw this on the news. I mean, uh, there's been a couple at the Grand Canyon and a few other areas. So, uh, um, you know, beware the death by selfie.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh- Okay, well, somebody's got to come in. One of these entrepreneurs, Chris, has to come in and, and invent, uh, you know, something that allows you to do selfies without uh, falling into the Grand Canyon. I think there's a it's – a, it's a niche, you know, a niche down maybe.
1: Maybe, we, you know, uh, I'm a backcountry skier, and one of the biggest innovations in, in backcountry skiing has been the invention of these avi – we call them avi packs. So it's a backpack that you have all your gear in because you need a bunch of gear when you're going to go do this stuff but inside there is essentially this giant balloon and it acts, it acts sort of like a, uh, a parachute. And the, the problem with the uh, avalanches is you get encased deep in the snow and you typically have about 15 minutes worth of air and, and why people die in avalanches is not very rarely by getting smashed into something, but often by breathing their own air and they die, right? And so what they teach you to do in avalanche school is if you're in an avalanche you want to swim on the top of the avalanche because when the avalanche stops it essentially turns into concrete and what these avi packs do by having these essentially it's more sophisticated than this but it's a giant balloon you pull this ripcord on the side of your jet ja- on your on the the uh, backpack and this balloon explodes out the back of the backpack And what it does is it literally floats you on top of this avalanche, which is essentially a river of snow. And so that when the avi stops, you're on top. So maybe what we have to have are, you know, selfie packs, (laughs) special backpacks that you wear to protect yourself from the stupidity of whatever it is you're doing (laughs) with with your selfie.
0: On the other hand, uh, Chris, I don't want to argue with the innovative uh, entrepreneur opportunity there, but perhaps the people that do these sorts of things, maybe it is in their destiny. Maybe it is in the good of the race overall that they move on to their next adventure, uh, you know, on another sphere.
1: Well, you know, now now you're tapping into my grumpy old man. Uh <laughs> And, and there, there's definitely, you know, there's some people who think we have an overpopulation problem. I don't know. The, the traffic here in the Bay Area would lead me to believe that's probably the case. <laughs> um, but I'm not an expert in these things. Um, but there is sort of a Darwinistic thing. And I'm not, I'm not a selfie kind of a guy. As a matter of fact, I can't take one. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how many I've taken in my life, but not many. I've, I don't know that I've ever taken one of myself. Uh, that I posted anywhere, um, you know, so they're with other people. And nobody looks good in a selfie because, I don't know, if you're like me, right, you you can't – my arm is not long enough to, to get, get the enough appropriate distance from my big – bald head to to put the thing in perspective so any selfie that maybe this is what's going on for me i don't like them i just i look like a giant beach ball of a head um but anyway i don't know that anybody really looked particularly good in a selfie a lot of people you know you see their nose hairs and shit it's not yeah it's not that attractive that's why i see that's why they created the selfie stick yes yes yeah.
0: Well, maybe next time we can talk about, we'll do reviews. We'll we'll get like 15 or 20 or 30 selfie sticks and we'll, we, you know, we'll have a lot of fun reviewing
1: those. Yeah, we should do a product uh, session on selfie sticks. <laughs> yeah. That's a category. That's a whole category. All I right. wish would go away, but you know, God bless them. <laughs> All
0: right. All right, brother, <clears throat> Chris, it's been as always an adventure, uh, eye opener and uh, thanks for putting the plugs in there for the, the inspirational drive and that truly profound world-changing thing of entrepreneurship that, that, that has to continue to be emphasized. And I hope people will look at the, you know, what Uber's doing in different ways based on some of your insights here.
1: Well, thank you, Bob. It's been a pleasure as always. And I can't wait for next month.
0: Thank you, my friend. Thanks to all of you folks for being with us at Cloud Wars Live. We'll see you again next time. Please feel free to share your feedback with me, bobevanspa at gmail.com. Thanks. See you soon.